Come on. Move it like you mean it. Wrestle, Nick. Nick, let me show you. You only need your right hand to pull this off. Yep. Not bad. So this is mixed martial arts? We're not MMA fighters. But we're wrestlers. The best foundation to start with. He's pinned. He's pinned. Hey, you here from the tryout? I can't fight this guy. Nice going. I watch you train every day. I won't give up. You ready? You can go pro. Yes! This kid's the real deal. Every fighter he's taken on has been legit. And he has not lost. I can't stop. You're a sideshow. You're giving real fighters a bad name. Sideshow's about to beat your ass! The XFC is denying your right to fight. I want to be heard. Nick's a contender for the title. This is his shot. He's proven that he can handle it. No limits. No limits. Nick has the right to have the career he wants to pursue. If you love something, you have to work twice as hard as everyone else. Nick Newell begins Rich Riddles for the lightweight championship belt. Me now. I ain't come this far to lose. Remember what we practiced. Stand up for yourself. How many punches am I going to have to take before I get rid of the ground? A few. But you got a thick skull. The city of Brockton is now in your hands. The Brockton Mass City of Champions app is a revolutionary civic app that will give whoever downloads it a full picture of the city of Brockton. Users of this app can discover new businesses and restaurants, have access to the local transit system schedule, learn who the Brockton elected officials are, explore attractions and amenities, and stay up to date with the latest news and information going on in the city of Champions. Among the many amazing features of the app is its business directory feature. This business directory is comprised of over 2,000 known businesses in the City of Champions. Business owners who claim their business will have the advantage of free promotion on the app. They will have the ability to inform users of their menus, special deals and discounts, and any other pertinent information. Here's how to claim your business. First, on a laptop or computer, visit claim.mycivicapps.com and click the Claim My Business button at the bottom of the screen. 
Next, type in Brockton Mass City of Champions plus your business name in the appropriate search bars. Once your business appears on the screen, press claim, enter a name, email, and password for the account, and click continue. Finally, fill out all of your pertinent business information. This includes everything from the business location, hours, and more. Once complete, click the save and send to moderator button for a final approval. Once the moderator approves, your account is all yours to customize and use however is best for your business. If you cannot find your business on the app, please email listmylocalbusiness at gmail.com and a moderator will ensure your business is inputted into the app for you to claim. The Brockton Mass City of Champions app is available for download on both the Apple and Android app stores. Download the app today. All right, all right. Is everyone here? Ants. Yes, sir. Roaches. Yeah, what of it? Rodents. Let's get this cheese. All right. Come on, everyone. Settle down. Settle down, please. Look, we all know why we're here. We'll be eating like queens when we're through with this. That pantry's finally ours. Nobody can stop us now. No. No, there's no way. It can't be. It's... It's Old Colony! Old Colony Pest Control. Veteran-owned Massachusetts, Rhode Island-based operation with everything you could dream of for your pest needs. Equipped with top-of-the-line gear to guarantee your home is protected and staying healthy. Phone number is 774-400-5993. Give them a call for the backup you need. Tell them that General Red Revere sent you. They handle anything from ants, roaches, ticks, mosquitoes, rats, and more. No wildlife or termites at this time. Hey, hey, watch it, buddy. We're marching. We're marching. Another lesson from my neighborhood. Do you know how to tell if mom is overdosing on drugs? If your mom shoots dope every day like mine, you can only help her if you know the signs of an overdose. An overdose? Yes, an overdose. Don't call the ambulance if you're in doubt Unless she shakes uncontrollably or foams at the mouth That's an overdose Okay, that's an overdose Mm -hmm. That's an overdose You could find her on the floor or find her in bed And if you know what to do, she won't end up dead Of an overdose Really? Yes, an overdose I don't know. The signs of danger are simple to see. If she's twitching and seizing and can barely breathe, that's an overdose. Yeah. That's an overdose. That's an overdose. Mom always knows best. What up, everybody? Kevin Jackson here. If you feel the need and you want to get in touch with the hot topics from today's headlines, you got to check out The Booth with Keith. Send us the one, Hayes. Tell him Kevin Jackson sent you. It's Carl. 
Why don't you look at the registered voters on there? How many registered voters are on there? Did you do you even know the answer to that? So, no, I guess it's, I'm trying to get to the bottom zero. of this here. Zero. Zero. There's zero. So, my question then is if the Yes, how many wait. What about what about how what what about the turnout rate? 120%? Let's uh, let's let representative Johnson ask his question. <laughs> so the poll book number, I okay, there there's two things that could happen here. Either the poll book number, if ballots were called multiple, multiple times, there, there's two options. Option number one is that the poll book numbers are not going to match. They the, don't. The actual. Not by thousands and thousands of votes. That's not what we see right now. You that, take a look again. One. Take a look again. Option number two is that they essentially were, were filling in names of people who didn't vote. That, Dead that, people, too? So is that – Let's I guess, let is that Representative Johnson ask his question, and then when I he's done – I thought that was his answer. Okay. Well, I guess that, that's uh, well, my, my question here is why – we're not seeing the poll book off by 30,000 votes. That, that's not the what case. What did you guys do, take it and uh, do something crazy to it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? This is blasphemy. This is madness. This is the proof. Right, your boy Sinister One broadcasting live from the City of Champions. You are listening to The Booth. It is 2022, January 4th, the first show of the new year. And, you know, you saw these guys last year, the first Tuesday of every month. We start out the first Tuesday of every month with these guys. But I got a big, big thanks to my special guest, last special guest of 2021, Crystal Tyson. She was on my show um, and closed out with a nice Christmas holiday show we did and i got my guests on here ken diesel r squid say hello to everybody hello 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 and we got a lot to talk about you know i save a lot of these legal stories and things of that sort for these guys um here in the booth um there's a a one story that i actually held over from last year that i wanted to discuss with these guys that we're going to get into into the legal booth um but as we get into this show right now, I got to get right into the news booth, but I got to thank my sponsors, MDB Electronics, Michael Douglas Barreto, as you guys saw 
with the new super intro. Thank you to Ron Drago. Thank you to Young Swisser Beats for the beat. Uh, but Michael Douglas Barreto is one of my sponsors, MDB Electronics. Also, check out Vianna Marie's music everywhere, online, streaming everywhere. Also, check out Tactical Target Systems when I go to the range. Um, those are the targets that I use. And Boston Sports. I love bostonsports.com. This is the winner at the end of last year, John Hayes. He won a shirt. That's his picture. And I got to thank I Love Boston Sports, Mahalan Williams, for letting us have the stuff to give to people who are in the chat. Also, Old Colony Pest Control, veteran-owned by Carl Bunnell. Give him a shout if you have any pest issues. And uh, we're here. We're in the news booth. I got my guys with me. And the first thing I want to talk about locally, Michelle Wu calls the COVID testing lines absolutely unacceptable. Um, I'm torn over this because there's a reason. There's a lot of reasons why we have the long lines for the COVID testing. Originally, before what all went down, we had the, we had enough places to do the testing. The problem is, is that we have a perfect storm of situations right now. You had a lot of people who procrastinated about getting their vaccinations because of the whole thing with January 15th and the Supreme Court ruling as far as the 100 employees or more. Um, Supreme Court ruled that anybody with 100 employees or more can mandate the 100 employee or more vaccination mandates and stuff of that sort. So you got a lot of people who are upset about that. So now they're being forced to rush out and get tested. Um, I know at my location, they are going to allow employees to get tested every week. Um, If you don't get tested every week, then you can lose your job. They've already laid off, um, I want to say, 100 state troopers here. There have been some military personnel who've lost their jobs already. Um, I'm not. I forget what the the number was. It about a thousand that they let go last week. R squared. The yeah, they broke it down by service, so it was a few hundred per service. A few hundred per service, and you know, Ken, you're out there in the legal area, and you know, there's a lot of talk about you know, once this all kicks off on January 15th, you know, there's a lot of people not going to be allowed into buildings. You know, they're going to they have to follow the rules. You know, you're going to have to get either get your vaccination. Um, Michelle Wu is put into place. You're going to need proof of vax to even go out to eat at a restaurant or go to a sporting event or go to a concert, which most of these events have been already taking your QR code or taking your vaccination card. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's nothing different than what we're already been doing, but people are pissed. They're upset. And what do you see, Ken? Cause you deal with a lot of state and government buildings. Oh yeah. I mean, well, first of all, you know, the courts have gone back to doing the questions and doing the temperature checks and asking if you're getting vaccinated. So I was saying that, in my hometown of Melrose, they, they put the mask requirement back on for all public buildings, not just governmental buildings. And my answer is, so what? I mean, there in case we're two, we're two years into this. <laughs> noticed we've got a pandemic. It's you know, when the intrusion is minimal. When when I was younger, we had to show proof of vaccination for any number of events that we had to go to, including sporting events. To, if you want to participate in sports to go to school, you have to show ID to buy liquor. Mm-hmm. So what? I mean, you have to show, I have to show ID, you know, to pick up my mail for God's sakes. So I don't think it's in position. All right. And I got, a, I got up, a question. Up. I got a question for Rob when we get to this news story later on in the, in the news booth. Also in the news booth, um, over 100. Okay, so early when I took the story, the tally was 150 teachers that called out sick after the winter break. 
And there's a lot of reasons why teachers are calling out because they're coming back from traveling and they now have this whole thing that flipped around because it was, it was just before Christmas that they put the mandates back into place for employees over hundred. So a lot of these teachers are coming back from vacation. They're not tested yet. Um, and they're calling out sick. Some of them, a lot of teachers are out with COVID because this Omicron is taking advantage of a lot of people. It's hit them real hard. So we've got, uh, it was 150 earlier today. Um, as of five o'clock, five thirty today, uh, we were up to a thousand teachers that called out in Boston alone, which is why we had school closures today. Brockton has closed school for the entire week because they have so many staff out due to COVID. Um, so this is going to be a crazy situation. My son's in the charter school and they had said that it's going to be a day by day basis. So now he goes to school every day, not knowing if he's going to have school tomorrow because it all depends on the rise of the COVID numbers as we get into the thick of this, because again, you know, we're just coming off of new years. Uh, usually it's like a 10 to two week period for incubation. So we're going to see this big surge in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see. And here's the one I have for our square down there in Florida. Um, COVID numbers. Uh, you guys are breaking records down there. And, you know, Governor DeSantis was under fire last week while we were off air because he wasn't in Florida at the time when the numbers were rising and the, the hospitals were packed. Uh, he gets back and instead of just taking the heat, he turns around and he blames the feds for creating hysteria in Florida. You want to talk about this? Because he's he's not your favorite guy. We know that on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, look, you know, some of these politicians made decisions early on and they made decisions that they were going to play politics with people's lives because, you know, in the very early stages of the pandemic, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. We took the best evidence we could. We made the best decisions we could based on the evidence available. We continued to do research to figure out what the pandemic was and was not, what would work, what would not work as far as safety measures and, and medications. And thank God we got the vaccines and what have you. And so all along the way, we have to make adjustments. You know, uh, how long should the isolation period need? Do we need a booster shot for the vaccines? Do masks work uh, indoors versus outdoors? And, and we've made the adjustments along the way. And so, yes, it changes sometimes and, and what have you. But either you choose to do the things that will keep people safe and allow us to operate normally, allow us to go to work, allow us to go to school, allow us to go out and have some fun in a safe way, uh, you know, allow us to do the things that we that we can still do. We don't have to stay in our homes 24 hours a day if we take reasonable precautions. But then you had some political leaders, Governor DeSantis among the first, Governor Abbott of Texas and a few others uh, who made the decision that their political calculus was such that they would not support that. They would actively work against trying to figure out what would keep people safe. They didn't care how many people in their own states died unnecessarily. And they didn't care to do anything because they made political judgments. And that's and, and they're stuck with that decision. You can't now, you know, a year later when we kind of know what needs to be done and, you know, we're, we're going to get through this OK as a country. Maybe, you know, it won't be easy. It won't be great. But we know we're going to get through it. They're stuck with the decisions they made. And they can't now reverse course. They chose to defy fact. They chose to defy science. 
They chose to defy logic and they chose to put their people, their own people at risk to include their own voters because it's their own voters who were the most susceptible to these foolish decisions that they made. It's their supporters that are choosing not to get vaccinated. It's their supporters that are fighting the vaccine requirements that are otherwise reasonable and certainly lawful, as Ken and I have discussed on this show a few times. They have, they have, you know, it's their own supporters that oftentimes are the ones that can't miss a paycheck. And so they are doing everything that is the exact opposite of what their own people need, but also all of the people of their states. Florida is a big, complicated state. Texas is a big, complicated state. So is California. So is New York. But you could see that those states uh, have been trying. All the populous states, for the most part, have been trying to figure this out and do what's necessary. But you have a few exceptions like Florida and Texas. It is absolutely shameful. Uh, it is shameful that these leaders could probably win re-election, although it would be closer than, than previous years. Uh, we can only hope that, the, that enough people say, you know what, it, it's, it's one thing to, to share some political philosophy, but these people didn't care if we lived or died. You can't have leaders who think that way. It's one thing to, to be wrong on a policy decision. We all are sometimes, but these people weren't wrong about something. They chose to do wrong, and that's unacceptable, and they don't deserve to be in office. And you wrote you wrote some pieces. We're going to talk into you. you. Got a great piece that you just wrote. We're going to get into the legal booth. We'll be talking about the January sixth anniversary coming up. Ken, anything you want to add to that? Because there is another uh, person no. that Ken's okay. Absolutely not. I think Rob hit the nail right on the head with that. Well, we're going to go into and, you, and you're talking about people. This next topic coming up here. Um, you're talking about people of power, people in place of power who are using you know, their decision-making and pushing a dangerous rhetoric. And, you know, we, we, we pull away from Florida, from Governor DeSantis, and let's head over to Georgia, where we have Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's down there in Georgia, who is in the news. Uh, she made some crazy statements just prior to Christmas in regards to a civil war and how the South should succeed. Uh, she made this is true. These are crazy statements she made. Uh, she went and backed it up and made more statements on Twitter to the point where they suspended her account for 30 days. And she went on and she made this whole big thing about them giving her the 30 day suspension. And then she went and put a, another tweet or something out that said that they wouldn't do this to Waters, Maxine Waters. And she started naming all the black politicians. So she threw race into this whole. Thing of her being shut down on Twitter. So Twitter turns around and says, hey, guess what? You know what? We're deactivating your account. Twitter just turned around and deactivated her account. So she goes to Facebook and Facebook says, okay, well, you're not going to come here and do what you got suspended for and then had your account deleted. We're not going to put up with it. So now her account has been deactivated on Facebook. So now what has happened is, is she's pushing this crazy stolen election, all of these crazy things, the critical race theory that we discussed on the show, um, to the point where it's scary. I talk to these guys in the private chat. We, did, we have these discussions, and I talk about things that are in the government behind the scenes that these people's agendas are pushing that are scary. And they're scary because there are people who still follow these people's thoughts and believe their thoughts. And the scary thing is, is she's got people who believe the things she says. And um, 
a lot of people I've seen on my Facebook page, they're saying, well, that's wrong. It's a violation of her freedom of speech. No, it's not. It's not a violation no. of freedom of speech. You have a responsibility to do and act a certain way on Twitter and on Facebook. I'll let you guys talk about this because you guys are lawyers and you know it's 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 not a right. It's a private site. I'll let Ken go first and then I'm going to let Rob talk. This has been driving me crazy because I hear all these right-wing fanatics go on about how they're violating their rights. No. In order for there to be a First Amendment violation, you had to have something called state action. That means the state, the federal government or the state government or the county government or the city government has got to do something to interfere with you getting on Twitter. They didn't do anything, That Twitter is a publicly traded corporation. They are outside of the state action doctrine. If they don't want you on their site because you they you violated their terms of use, which when you go on Twitter, you have to click that you've read their terms of use or terms of service and you agree to abide by them. If you violate them, they can kick you the hell off. Provided you're not doing Twitter is not doing it based on race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or some or what they call a protected class. They can kick you off for any reason. I'm sorry. <clears throat> you have no right. And maybe they wouldn't have kicked off Maxine Waters. Yes, because Maxine Waters wouldn't be stupid and wouldn't violate their terms of service. Well, tough. You can't be on Twitter because you decide to be an idiot. Well, I'm sorry. There's no constitutional right to be an idiot on someone's private property. There's an old Vermont saying I like to quote that goes, your right to hit me ends where my nose begins. So your right to be an idiot on Twitter ends when Twitter decides it affects their brand. Uh, Squid, I know, I know you've yeah, mentioned I mean, her before over the, in the last year. Yeah, look, you know, Ken set the legal standard exactly right. That's, that's what, what he said is, is spot on. Everybody pay attention to it. It's not state action. It's not a First Amendment issue. So let me expand on two other things that you mentioned. First, if you want to make comparisons to Maxine Waters, she's not my favorite member of Congress. All right. She has said incendiary things in the past. She has said some things that deserve to be commented on, to be criticized for some of those comments that she's made. Let's be fair about that. She has. And she has been criticized by, by people for those comments. However, if you want to compare her to Marjorie Taylor Greene or some of these other right wing fanatics, the difference is Maxine Waters turns it on and off. She has... You know, she's prone to make these uh, extreme statements when she gets, you know, motivated, excited, you know, about something that's going on. And and she should be criticized when she crosses the line, as she has. She doesn't do it every day. It's not all she is. It's not all she does. When you look at Marjorie Taylor Greene and some of her like minded people, this is all they do. They don't have an off button. They aren't getting carried away. This is 100% of who they are and what they're doing day in and day out. So it's not the same thing as comparing, you know, someone on the other side of the aisle who maybe makes an occasional statement that, again, deserves criticism when it's made, but it's not a pervasive thing. So let's not let's not compare things that aren't the same. Now, as for the the issues about the substance of, of Marjorie Taylor Greene and others, the the issue is this. Let's say for the sake of argument that Twitter and Facebook and other social media has become such the equivalent of media that there is some amount of protection or, or equality for different point of view. Let's just concede that for the sake of argument. They still lose because there is no right under the First Amendment, even if it applied, to go out and lie to people. 
there, not everything you say is protected speech. I can't go out there and say certain things. I can't go out there and encourage people to commit crimes. That's called solicitation. It might be considered conspiracy. Those are both punishable offenses under the criminal code of the federal government and every state. And so there are, there are all kinds of limitations when you use the public microphone that you have to say things that are inappropriate. You're not to be censored because you say things that people disagree with, that would be wrong. You're not supposed to be censored or, or quieted because even if you say things that are offensive to people, that's, that's the way it is. If I wanna be an ass, pardon my language, I have the right to be an ass and people don't have to listen to me, all right? But I cannot cross the line into taking to the public airwaves or the private airwaves and say things that are dangerous to society. I can't get up there and make a series of statements day in and day out that will cause people to die because of their extreme falsity. And that's Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, we could laugh about the comment she made about what would she call it, the Jewish space laser, right? You know, this isn't something that she said because she got carried away in the moment. These are some of the nonsensical things that she says all the time, and they're part of her. They're part of her being. So it's really kind of sad, actually. You know, it's it, you could laugh at it because it's so ridiculous, but it's also kind of sad that this is a human being that 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 thinks this way, that acts this way, and that somehow found her way into Congress. That's the thing that should be shameful. That the voters of Georgia, knowing who she is. Uh, sent her to Congress and sent her there again. Uh, someone like her doesn't belong there. You know, for the record, just so that everybody knows, we're not talking about some, you know, one crazy person there. There are currently 42 people that are the equivalent of Marjorie Taylor Greene in Congress or running incredible races to be in Congress. We could have 42 Marjorie Taylor Greens in under a year in serving in Congress were they all to win. Now, that should scare the living crap out of people, because if you think dealing with one of her causes problems, imagine if there were 42 of her, whether the Republicans are in the majority or the minority, whether Kevin McCarthy is the speaker or the minority leader, there is no dealing with 42 Marjorie Taylor Greens. I think one is more than enough. And then you add in people like Jim Jordan and Louis Gohmert and some of these other right wing nut jobs. And I'm sorry to use that phrase, but but they don't deserve respect because they are not respectable. These are people that have chosen, much like what we were just talking about with governors like Abbott and DeSantis and Oklahoma's governor too, if I could put him in that category. Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah, but you know, the, the, these are people that have made, again, the political calculus that they want to appeal the worst to, to appeal to the worst among us, to appeal to the worst aspects of our human nature, to appeal to fear, to appeal to our quest for authority and not to fight for democracy. They use the word freedom, but they don't believe in any aspect of freedom. They want to lie to people. They want to get people in danger. They don't respect anything about our constitution. They don't respect anything about our government. It has nothing to do with any substantive disagreements we may have over policy. There may even be a few policy issues where we may find common ground where we to actually deal with substance. When was the last time you saw one of these people, Jim Jordan, Louis Gohmert, uh, Paul Gozar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, you know, I, I can name a bunch more, but I guess I'll stop there. When was the last time any of them spoke about a substantive matter, an issue of actual policy or, or something? They haven't. They haven't in years. They simply bloviate over nonsense. 
they get up there, they put on a show, they appeal to a base that we shouldn't even be acknowledging. They, uh, you know, it, it's 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 incredibly dangerous. I don't, I don't mean to go on and on. I'm sorry, because Ken, no, Ken no. gave a great answer to your initial question here. It's just the fact is, this is different. This is a new dangerous era in our politics. These are people, it's not about having Democrats versus Republicans allowed to be on social media. It's not about conservative or liberal. It's not about whether we agree or disagree with policy. I would fight to the death to defend conservatives' right to be heard on Facebook and Twitter, no matter how much I might disagree with them. And sometimes I do agree. I don't agree with anybody 100% of the time, and, and but what have you. These are not politicians. These are not leaders. These are dangerous extremists that are abusing our constitution, abusing our democracy to get rid of it. That is why Twitter and Facebook not only should act, but must act. And they need to get rid of all of these people. This should only be the beginning. And and I'm going to, and I just thought of this. This is something new that I just thought of because I, you know, I, Rob is very passionate in talking about this. And as I said, he writes his pieces over at the corridor. So I'm going to, I'm going to, do this for Rob. This is going to be a question that I'm going to ask Rob when these topics come up. And and we, we're always talking about people to stay informed. We're always talking about people to know the people behind the scenes and what they're... So if I was to take Marjorie Taylor Greene and how she's doing things right now and put her on a scale of one to five, because I've said this, I've said this is a scary time and there are people who we should watch that are dangerous to our democracy. If I had to do a scale of one to five, five, five being the worst, where would you scale Marjorie Taylor Greene on that scale as a danger to our democracy? Oh, she's she's far off the scale is the problem. Oh. There's not a scale. You know, if, if you're talking about, you know, the Richter scale, you're talking about the EF scale, you know, all these scales that talk about natural disasters. She's off the charts. Because because these scales were made for things that exist in nature. And we're talking about people that are abominations of nature. Wow. Wow. My son, Terrell, what's going on? He said Marjorie Taylor Greene has always been a freak. And you're right. And it's sad that she got reelected to Georgia. It's it's scary. Ken, anything you want to add? And if you want to put your thoughts on that scale. Well, if I can, I think one of the things we need to understand there's a difference between a politician and what we used to call back in the day a schlock mer- a merchant. Mm-hmm. Marjorie Taylor Greene and the rest of her culture are schlock merchants. They're entertainers. They're not in it for policy. Back in the 80s, I'm going to age myself. I know there was a guy who had a local television show in the New York area called Morton Downey Jr. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't, he's a right-wing conservative guy. Now, what's interesting about him is he, he could claim he's a legitimate politician because he stood for president on the right to life ticket. It was a legitimate party. He had run for political office, never got elected for anything, and was a fairly intelligent guy. And for years, he had a radio show, right-wing political, but very intelligent, would get on and talk on the issues. Maybe 20 or 30 people listened to it. Then he created this persona, the Martin Downey Jr. persona, and he got instant fame. And it was a horrible show. It was shot in the back of a warehouse in New Jersey someplace. But he got a lot of attention. And that's what these guys are. They are not politicians. They're not leaders. They're schlock merchants. And we can't talk with them. Back in the 80s, you could talk with the people who supported Reaganomics. I disagreed with them. But it was a legitimate economic theory. 
And we can have discussions about why it was good or why it was bad and how we were basically uh, using a credit card to, to have prosperity immediately, but then we're going to pay for it down the road, et cetera, et cetera. You can talk about the elimination of the dedicated social security fund. You could have, you could have intellectual conversations. We didn't agree, but you could sit down and talk with them. And Rob's absolutely right. You can't talk with these people because they're not interested in policy. They wouldn't understand a policy argument if they came up and bit him in the hindquarters or the us, as we say in Yiddish. Okay. Once, seriously, when's the last time you heard any of these people get on Fox News and talk about Biden's economic plan and talk about the problems with it? Other than they don't like it, other than it's socialism. Can any one of these people even define what socialism is? <laughs> seriously. I guarantee you, if you sat down and said, okay, I want you to give me a definition of what you consider socialism. And if it's anything that we're doing right now, then aren't you a socialist? Give me an example. If we believe in the free market, why do we have municipal trash collection and municipal snow plowing. Rob, I know it's not a big issue down in Florida, but <laughs> why is that a government function? Are there not companies who pick up trash for fees? Are there not people who plow driveways other places for fees? Well, why is the government taking care of that? And why are they up in arms about that? What about the fire department? Pop quiz. The first fire departments, were they public? Let me rephrase that. In the United States of America, post the inauguration of the Constitution, were the first fire departments public or were they private? Anyone want to guess? Private. Yeah, correct. Private. They were private. Rob's right. And who financed them? Insurance companies. Back in the day, you would buy a fire insurance policy and you would put a plaque on your building. If your building burned down, you would call the insurance company and they would dispatch a fire company and they look for the plaque. They saw the plaque, they put out the fire. If they didn't, they didn't put out the fire. But now we have public fire. So you've got socialism, you've got no problem with that. Then either you're a hypocrite or you don't know what socialism is. Take your pick. Um, before I get into the next topic, we actually have some breaking news. Um, George Conway just retweeted. Um, New York Times is just breaking news. The House Committee that's, and I'm, we're going to be talking about this in a little bit in the legal booth. The House Committee that's investigating the January 6th attack, which is coming up, is now asking for Sean Hannity uh, to be questioned. The Fox News host, as you guys know, who's real close to President Trump at that time, um, he is to give his answers on how much he cooperated and they need to know about his communications with Donald Trump before and after the riots. So we're going to get into that. We've got a whole discussion coming up. So let's, I haven't read them, but what was released this afternoon uh, at some point was they, they, the the committee released or or Congress released uh, a series of text messages between Jesus. Trump and Hannity from January 6th Ooh. during the insurrection. Oh. 
And so they were in communication. Now, I don't know the substance of it. I don't know if Hannity was saying, hey, call this crap off, because we know that a lot of Trump supporters were quietly telling him to call <coughs> it off. But, and then they, yes, they, then they somehow mm-hmm. lost their voices after it was over. Uh, but that's. Um, Everything OK? Yeah, I'm just trying to turn something off here. Uh, <laughs> that was um, the I forgot to turn my phone off the. Uh, yeah, so so apparently there's some uh, interesting connections. There are some interesting connections between um, Trump and Hannity from during the January 6th insurrection that they they want to ask him questions about. We don't know uh, the substance of them. Apparently, they some right. of them have been released. So I guess you could read them, but I, I I haven't read them yet, so I won't comment yeah, on it. I. But that's what it is. The interesting thing about that is Trump had originally been planning some kind of a speech, some kind of an event on January 6th, his own commemoration, right? And, and, and again, Why? I don't know what, he was gonna hold one of his famous rallies somewhere. I do, again, I don't know the, the details that's, and he just canceled it. After the release of those texts between he and Hannity, he canceled it. So that tells me that there's something, um, there's something interesting that was uh, exchanged between them that, that was made public that now Trump has been caused to cancel his event. And he's been, he hasn't been popular on the campaign trail. Um, He's been booed at a lot of places because he's telling people to get vaccinated um, and they're not liking that. And the thing is he's upset about this. Like, well, you preached to these people for a whole entire year, you know? And yes, he did. He did. He did give a speech (laughs) before that. So um, let's get into the legal booth so we can start breaking this down. Heading into the legal Oh, before we get into the legal booth, yes, talking about crazy people. Melissa Caroni, as you guys remember, who was in the video that I just showed before that Giuliani brought to court and she made a mockery of herself. She's running for a GOP position in Michigan. How crazy, how scary is that, that this woman, Melissa Caroni, and she is saying she's running on this whole platform that the government is trying to eliminate white people. She's running on this whole platform. Again, these are people who are scary and they have people following <coughs> them that believe in these beliefs. So people read up on these people, learn things about these people. Melissa Crony is as crazy as, as Cuckoo Cocoa Puffs, man. If she even gets into Michigan as a GOP, Rob just said it. Rob just said it. You want to have 42 Marjorie Taylor Greens in government offices? It, this is insane. Well, we can... talked about the the critical race theory last month. Yes, we did. And we we talked about that. And I raised the point. I raised it again. That first of all, no high school is teaching critical race theory because it requires a graduate level education to do it. But this is the exact same thing. The crazies are out there, people, and they're voting, and that's the problem. Scary. Uh, but this is not this is not a, a unique problem. Uh, it was either Aristotle or, or Pluto um, uh, said this. Plato, excuse me, not Pluto, not the dog. Plato, excuse me. Plato, yeah. I got Disney on my mind. <laughs> said that the penalty for not being involved in civic affairs is that you're ruled by your inferiors. Now, I don't want to sound like terribly elitist, but kind of am. This is what happens. When you don't pay attention and you don't vote, the craziest come out of the woodwork. 
Okay? And they're out there. Or to quote my beloved father, who was, who was very active in volunteer organizations for most of his life, who hated it because it was an incredible drain on his time. He once said, if I don't join, the idiots will take over. Well, got news for you, Dad. It looks like they are. Rob, well, this is the, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the problem, right? That, you know, we talked about how there used to be two political, par- well, more than two, but two main political parties that would do the, the nation's business and would communicate, agree, disagree, and all the things that were normal for 200 plus years. But in the last uh, decade, you now have a Republican Party that this is their own decision. This isn't even about the voters. This isn't something the Democrats could be accused of doing. These are the, this, the Republican Party has jettisoned all of those mainstream conservatives, traditional Republicans, people who want to serve the, the people that they're elected to serve. They've gotten rid of all of them, at least on the House side. There are very few of them left, and they have all been replaced by design by the people who have taken over the Republican Party with people you know, like Marjorie Taylor Greene and this other candidate that we're talking about. And so what has happened is that the Republicans have embraced the extremism. They feel that it's their ticket to power and the, you know, they, they've, they've cleaned house. They've eliminated their legitimate candidates because what's happened is, you know, and this is something Democrats really should have been paying attention to and, and, and learning. I'm not saying to do the same thing on the other side. That would be a mistake as well. But what I'm saying is the, the Democratic Party for decades has undervalued the, the role that these local races have played. And, and so what Republicans have done is the, the, the lowest level officials, they're, they're running partisan candidates on school boards, they're, they're replacing supervisors of elections in small towns, they're, they're doing all of these things with these extremists, these apparatchiks that are, that are being emplaced to do nothing other than, you know, to, to, to get rid of democracy, to, to support the extremism and the, uh, you know, the, the future election stealing and, and what have you. And so what they've done now is by putting in these, uh, you know, Ken called them the crazies. They are in many ways crazy, but I, I, I think that gives them too much credit. Uh, you know, they, they're dangerous is what they are. They're people who really are trying to dismantle democracy. And so what, what they've done is by putting these people in power, they run the local and state party uh, apparatuses. And so I think that's the right plural, Ken. I don't know. You'll correct me. Uh, apparati, I don't know. Uh, but but <laughs> um, what they've done now is... Uh, I think you're right. Apparati, I can't even see. Never mind. Yeah. Keep going. I'm they, sorry. Have, they have prevented the mainstream Republican candidates from actually being able to run in those primaries. That's the point of this whole thing. I'm sorry it took me a minute to get here. The, the, the problem is that mainstream conservatives, people like Adam Kinzinger in Illinois... Right. Who's who's doing some heroic work at his own cost. He can't run for reelection because of it. And, and people like him uh, can't run as Republicans anymore. They have been prevented from running by the people who control their own party apparatus. And so in order to win a Republican primary, you have to at least appeal to these to this extremist base, whether you really mean it or not. You have to use the rhetoric. You have to make <coughs> them be- think, you know, to make them think that you're a believer. And we can only hope that there are enough people faking it who, once they win the primary and, and perhaps win the election, go back to being a more sensible mainstream conservative as opposed to a real Marjorie Taylor Greene type of lunatic. 
um, somebody that's really going there to dismantle democracy. Because if not, we're in deep doo-doo. We're gonna get we're gonna get right into the legal booth. Did you guys look at the new banner that I got up here for the legal booth? Um, Trump Trump did not order ten. This is one of the stories that they held over from last year uh, during these discussions about January six. Um, Trump did not order the ten thousand troops to secure the Capitol. That's a lie. And you know what we got to say to that? Here we go. Donald Trump, why are you always lying? That's 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 my that's my key for him. Um, the, the thing about this is, is that we're going to. Why the fuck you lying? <laughs> Why you always lying? Stop lying. Stop lying. Donald Trump did not order the 10,000 troops. And there's all these stories that are coming out. Um, there's a lot of people who are now flipping over as this investigation goes on and people start to be questioned. Um, in this latest next story, Peter Navarro, um, he was a close confidant to President Donald Trump and Steve Bannon. Um, President Navarro, uh, Peter Navarro just gave an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, and he is now admitting that Donald Trump had him put together a research file of bogus election fraud research, and he delivered them to the congressional Republicans when he knew him himself, Peter Navarro, knew that this whole thing was bogus. And, um, you know, now these people are all flipping. Rob, what do you think about a lot? Because there's another story of someone else that's that just recently flipped, too. What are your thoughts on a lot of these people? Because you called it. You said a lot of these people are going to start flipping because they don't want to go to jail. They don't want to have their careers ruined. Yeah, Navarro's not going to flip. And, uh, you know, he's he is insisting. I just saw him on a show before we got started. That's kind of what okay. I was paying attention to during the pregame here before we went on the air. And he was um, he was talking about what the plan really was. Now, of course, he's lying. You, you know, when Peter Navarro is lying, you know, because his lips are moving. But, he, <laughs> uh, you know, he's but, but he's one of those dangerous liars. This is the thing. Right. He's he's insistent. He's like the guy that's going to take 10 swings and say he still hasn't struck out yet because he's still swinging. Right. And so Peter Navarro is just he's going to keep going. He, he, he speaks very quickly. He's not a stupid person, that's for sure. And he just keeps on going and going and going. He speaks over people and, and he just repeats lie after lie after lie after lie. These are all things that could be proven to be untrue, such as, you know, the the election results. It's interesting because what he claims is. That they that they had no plan whatsoever to overthrow the election, to to take over the Capitol and all that kind of thing. He says all they wanted to do was to send the votes from the six states in question, you know, the same six we keep talking about, to send those back to be recounted in a fair and proper way. Well, obviously, they had been counted three times uh, before they ever got sent to Congress for certification. And each time it was very clear that Trump had lost. Biden had won. You could agree or disagree whether that's the right result, but that's clearly what happened. And what's interesting is, of course, in most of these places, you had Republicans in charge of the elections. It's not like you had, a, you know, so how did the Democrats steal the elections when you had Republican election officials, Republican secretaries of state, Republican legislatures, Republican governors? Right. Where where was the Democratic plot to steal the election from from Donald Trump in these six states? And so so the whole thing is fallacious. Right. But uh, but the fact is that they go around and just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. 
and, and insist that that's what it was. That's not what it was. They didn't want a recount in those six states because they had already lost those recounts six ways from Sunday. And in fact, each time they recounted, the, the number went up for Biden and down for Trump. And when <laughs> yeah, they found exactly. voter fraud, it was votes for Trump that were fraudulent. Dead people voted for Trump, not Biden. So, so they didn't want any more recounts. We know they didn't want any more recounts. So what did they want? They wanted Congress to not certify the election. They wanted the election thrown to the House of Representatives, which would have voted for Donald Trump in complete violation of their duty. They had the legal ability to do that because once it goes to the House, they get to vote for whoever they wanted to, which means they could ignore the vote of the American people. They could ignore the result of the Electoral College, which I think we could all criticize, but that's the that's the prevailing system until we change the Constitution. And they wanted that result. They knew, they believed anyway, but they had reason to believe that if they could just get the election into the House of Representatives, they would win the presidency because it's not, it doesn't go by each representative gets a vote. You go by state and each state, you go by the majority of the state. Well, the Republicans didn't have control of the House, but they had control of more than half the states. And so each state getting one vote, you would have had more than half the states voting for Trump, which would have represented less than half of the population in the United States. But that's not how they do it. And so the election would have gone to Donald Trump. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to sow enough chaos to throw the election to the House, knowing that the House Republicans would not honor the vote of their own states and they would vote according to party. And uh, and that and that's how they were going to overturn the election results. They didn't necessarily need the coup to succeed; they just needed the chaos. Right, right. And and, and we got another story here. Bernard Couric. If you guys don't know who this is, this is the uh, New York Police Commissioner who was the assistant to Giuliani during those uh, hearings when Giuliani was bringing up all the fraud cases. Um, he's now been asked to turn over a batch of documents to the January 6th select committee. Are you up on that one also, Rob? Can you talk about that one? The documents that he had to well, send over? I'll just say one thing, because I don't want to monopolize this topic here. But, yeah, but no Kirk, first of all, he's, he's a convicted felon. OK, he was convicted of corruption. He served time. Trump pardoned him. All right. Trump right. knew him when he right. was the yeah. police commissioner of New York City. They got along. You can imagine why they got along. And when Trump became president, he pardoned Bernard Carrick. All right. So the fact that Carrick was part of this inner circle to try to you know, figure out how to steal the 2020 election shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, Carrick is going to be loyal to Trump, and he's probably desperate enough to try to get Trump reelected in 2024 so he gets another pardon. Mm. Mm. Ken, anything you want to add to that before the next topic? Yeah, if I may, just really quickly, uh, yeah. I want to go back to Rob's comment about how the right wing fanatics were attacking their their apparently their own party because they're the ones who certified the election you need to understand that, that these people referred to those republicans as as <clears throat> and i do apologize if i'm going to denigrate anyone as rhinos republicans in name only r-i-n-o they don't view them as republicans they view them as democrats parading as republicans that's the only way they can get elected that's what these people feel these people do not want democracy. They, you know, they want to use it for gaining power, and then that's it. They have no concept of our Republican form of government. They cannot accept 
that they lost. As Rob pointed out, they wanted to move it into the, the House of Representatives so they could steal the election. And they still are talking about this. This is over a year and a half up. All the cases have been dismissed. There's been no finding of fraud except for a few cases, and they've all been Trump supporters. So this is not a party or not individuals who are interested in having a legitimate election where the winner takes all. They're interested in winning, period. If they win, great. If they lose, it's fraud. If I may quote John F. Kennedy, who says, it's very hard, near impossible, to negotiate with someone who says, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is negotiable. And that's what we have here. Crazy stuff. And breaking news is we became, uh, before we came on the air, prosecutor drops groping charges this afternoon against former New York Governor Cuomo. Um, one of the things that stuck out is that said, the prosecutor said that the, claim, the claimant, which is the person who you know put the, 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 the call out there and charged him, he got charged for this. Um, they said, um, actually, I have the actual quote. Um, Oh, I actually put that in our chat. But I guess she wasn't working with, she was, I guess she was unable to work with these people and the prosecutors. I'm just going to ask these guys real quick who can answer this one. You know, what happens here to where the claimant, you know, becomes to the point where the prosecutor's like, you know what, there's nothing here, or could she have been paid off? You know, that, that could be another thought. Was she, did they get to her and did the Cuomo's pay her off? And now she's, you know, Kind of um, on that one. Let me just say this, and I've, I've run across this problem in my own practice. Mm -hmm. yep. Witnesses are really good at coming forward when they when when they everyone is listening to their story without a critical eye. When they find out that they're going to get cross examined by an attorney like myself or Colonel Resnick or any any of our colleagues, all of a sudden they get cold feet. Because we're going to drag up things that are, they don't want to talk about. And then they become very uncooperative. And I've seen cases, and I'm sure I don't want to speak for Rob, but my guess is he's seen cases like that, that when the rubber meets the road, these people actually have to testify and that just put things under oath and all the details come out there, they get cold feet because what they say initially is, well, you, they may have left out a few things <laughs> or there may be things <clears throat> they don't want to talk about, which I want to talk about. And all of a sudden they don't want to talk about it. Because it's all, you know, it's all fine and dandy when no one is questioning their story. And that happens a lot. And do I think Cuomo reached these people? Possible. But I doubt it. I think it's just simply the case just fell apart. And these cases fall apart all the time. Wow. Wow. Tough, tough stuff there. Anything you want to add to that before we move on, r -squid? Well, yeah. I mean, look, you know, I, I think it's clear from... From, from things that we're able to see, we don't know all the facts because it, nothing has, has gone to trial in a, in a public forum or anything like that. I, I think we know that he certainly has a problem. Cuomo has a problem with his conduct, right? There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that he did inappropriate things. I don't know exactly what he did because I'm not privy to it, but there's so much out there that I'm sure he did some things that, that deserve uh, you know, to be held accountable for them. And you know, the problem is this, though. When 
you know, first of all, sexual assault. I don't know whether he committed a sexual assault or whether he did other violations. I'm not commenting on that. I'm saying, generally speaking, sexual assault is a scourge in our society. It continues to be for decades. We need to do something about that. And so we have made great strides in the way that we handle those cases. In fact, I believe we had Bridget on the show a couple of years ago who talked about yeah. that, right? Yeah. And, and she's one of the heroes who's been leading the charge on, on improving the way that we handle those cases. And so, you know, I think that, you know, when somebody comes forward, we obviously have to have to do what we can to do a proper investigation and see where the truth may lie. What do we believe and what we can prove? Sometimes they're not the same thing. <laughs> uh, and sometimes that's what happens in these cases that you, you, you have somebody making allegations, but you can't find the evidence to prove them. And then you have to make some difficult decisions. Sometimes you can, you know, you can find evidence that supports uh, serious charges and you can go forward and, and hold somebody accountable and do the right thing. And that's a win. But sometimes you don't even have enough to take a case forward. I don't know what happened to these cases. You know, when you have somebody like a Cuomo who is, um, you know, he's involved in politics, uh, you know, not that, that, not that political leaders are, you know, always facing false allegations or anything like that. But when you're in the public eye, there's always that risk anyway. But, but let me say this, in, in my history of doing these cases, I have found very few false allegations. Women don't want to come forward and make false allegations and put themselves through a very, very difficult uh, uh, emotionally and, and an otherwise difficult process. But it happens sometimes, right? It's not that it happens zero percent of the time. It's, it's a lower percentage of the time than most people would think. But it does happen sometimes. And when you get somebody like Cuomo that can be incendiary, that could be politically charged, then that's where you have to at least take a look at. It. And so the fact that there were a number of complainants that came forward uh, would make me think that they're certainly not all making it up. Uh, now, maybe maybe one or two of them were because they said, here's an opportunity to get at this guy for for some reason. But I think overall, you know, my starting point is I believe when somebody comes forward and that's why we do an investigation. Investigations can't always turn up facts or sufficient facts, but we have to at least make the effort. We have to give somebody their day. And if it looks like somebody has made it up, then we can take action in that regard. But that doesn't happen as often as people might think. And so in these particular cases, you know, when they dropped, they dropped a couple of cases. I think it was Westchester was the one a couple of weeks ago that had to drop it because they, they looked at the criminal statute and what he was accused of doing didn't even violate the criminal statute. If I remember that case correctly, I could be wrong. This particular case, it seemed to be an issue of, of corroborating the, the allegation and the cooperation of the, of the witness. I will tell you, as somebody, I never shied away from prosecuting cases. If I believe the act occurred, we, we, we did something, whether we went to trial or made a deal or we did. We, we didn't shy away from difficult cases if we believed that we had facts to use. And if we lost, we lost. But we were going to give people their day in court and we were going to try to hold the, uh, the, you know, the defendant accountable in some way. Even, even if they win their case, at least they maybe got scared by having to go through the process. It was always worth doing it. But you can't do it at all. If you don't have a cooperating witness, Ken will tell you this as a defense attorney, if the prosecution tries to bring a case of personal conduct like this, you know, where, where somebody hurts somebody or the allegation is somebody hurts somebody and that person doesn't cooperate, isn't there to talk about this is what happened to me, this is, you know, and, and share all that information, there's no case to be made. 
And so what I think you posted earlier today, Sinister One, is that there was an issue where this particular individual uh, d chose not to, for reasons I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate, but chose not to cooperate in the ongoing investigation, which would make it virtually impossible to bring charges to trial. And I'm speculating here a little bit because I don't have all the facts. I'm just trying to speak more generally about how these things go down. Uh, yeah. I, I don't yeah. think, you know, I, I thought I, I kind of liked him initially. I, I, I don't like him now. I believe that he's problematic in this area, but that doesn't mean that, uh, that I, you know, we've got to follow due process for everybody and you've got to have uh, a good investigation and a proper set of facts and, and a credible witness. And I, something's missing in, in some of these cases. I don't know what's going to happen in the rest of them. Yeah. And I hate to say when I read it, my first thought was, is they got to him pay there. And that that's, I don't I believe that. that. I don't that's, believe that's, that. That's what's my opinion. But you know, you don't believe that. That's why, why, why would you, so you don't think so. You just think she, I think it's too late for something like that because it like was, too, it would be too easily discovered. It, okay. it, if somebody was motivated <laughs> politically, they would be easy. It's so easy to find the money right now. Um, if, uh, it, so if, if that occurred, somebody would find that the media would find it. His uh, political opponents would find it. Uh, somebody would find it. Maybe the prosecution would find it because they would be frustrated and not being able to take their case. Right, so right. I, I, I just don't think that's what happened. <clears throat> Sorry, Ken. Uh, Ken. Ken's got his finger up. Go ahead, yeah. Ken. The other thing is, I, th I think we need to be very careful about what activities he was accused of and whether they are criminal or civil in nature. It's very important to understand that his conduct, if it was true, and I wasn't there, I don't know, but I have no reason right. to doubt these women, clearly <laughs> is reprehensible. And maybe he should resign. However, did that rise to the level of a sexual assault? And I think that's where the gray area is. On the one hand, you have conduct that's clearly disgusting and clearly could be civilly action. On the other hand, did it rise to the level of sexual assault? And there's that huge gray area between the two of those things you're talking about. I mean, wide enough to drive a Mack truck through. And they may say, it's like, look, it's horrible. It's disgusting. It's not sexual assault. Might be a misdemeanor assault or something like that, but it's not sexual assault. For example, in Massachusetts, the easiest way to determine something as sexual assault is if you, as an individual, either touch someone or use a foreign object on the mouth. For example, let's say that you have a boss who grabs your hand and kisses your hand. That's not sexual assault. It's an assault. It's not sexual assault. It's sexual harassment, but it's not sexual assault. You see what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Clearly, horrible conduct. That will not be accepted in the workplace, but it's not sexual assault. I think that's the problem. Mm -hmm. we gotta, we'll see. We're going to keep an eye on that story. Um, before I get into the entertainment booth, there was a story that I wanted to touch base on real quick. And just get these guys' uh, thoughts on this real quick. We're at 804. Um, there was a judge down south, and she has now resigned from her position. 
Um, this was a, a, a judge who was caught in this viral video dropping the N-word um, because someone was breaking into the car. Um, and, and, you know, when they, when they went viral, her her excuse was that she had taken some allergy meds and this and that, and um, she was suspended. Supreme Court actually suspended her from her duties, and then this week she's now announced that she resigns. Um, I'm thinking that she was to be probably fired, but they told her, hey, we're going to give you that option to resign. A lot of people don't understand why this was such a big deal. And I, I, I myself, I, I, I get it. She used certain language. But when you have someone who's caught in that situation who was a judge, and I'm going to let you guys explain to me because I'm not up on this one, um, why is this such an issue? What if she was under acted because she was on too much allergy meds? What what here and her dropping the N word all you know nine, ten, eleven times? What justifies the Supreme Court saying, "Hey, you need to resign. You need to step down." And they suspended her first before. I need to know why a judge can be. What is it that okay. they feel? Go ahead. All judges, there's the ABA puts out model rules for judicial conduct. Massachusetts, we have them. Florida, even Florida has them. And one of the things that you got to comport yourself as being a judge is that you will treat everyone who comes before you in a neutral manner, regardless of race, creed, or color. Mm-hmm. If you're using that language, it clearly indicates that you're unable to treat people in a neutral manner and you need to go. But now, what if she could? What if she could? What if she could separate the two? Or do you say, I'll let us No, I'm sorry. Once You're- is a mistake. 12 times you weren't paying attention. And I'm sorry, this is the, tw- this is the so-called Twinkie defense. For those of you who don't remember, there was a councilman in San Francisco called Harvey Milk. And he was murdered by a fellow councilman. And the excuse they raised at trial was a temporary insanity defense that said he was on medication for a mental illness. And it had a, and it had a interaction with the junk food he was eating. And that caused him to have temporary insanity. The media has called that the Twinkie defense. It's technically not Twinkies because he wasn't eating Twinkies. He was eating something else, ironically. But that's an issue for another day. And that was rejected by a whole slew of experts and rejected by the jury, although they did find him not guilty of murder, but of manslaughter. Issue for another day. I am sorry. No allergy medication is going to cause you to have Tourette's syndrome. If you have Tourette's syndrome, then maybe you will say things that are inappropriate like that. But no allergy medication, no medication in general is going to cause you to have neurological uh, paralysis like that. Sorry. Try try it again. If you believe that, there's a lovely bridge in Brooklyn I'm dying to sell you. In, in the video, other family members were using that same word um, about the person that was breaking into the car. Uh, Squid, do you want to add to that? Because, they, like I said, I was kind of confused because I'm kind of like, well, what if she could separate her job? What if she could keep her racist thoughts out of her seat? And you're shaking your head too. You're, you're, you're saying no yeah, way. Yeah, look, there, there. Ken's exactly right. You know, people talk about that. You know, when they get drunk, they're intoxicated or something, and they say things. Alcohol 
allergy medicine, you know, whatever, does not make you a racist. It does not make you anything that you aren't. It just lowers your inhibitions to reveal who you already are and what you already think. Now, <laughs> if somebody goes through a lifetime and on one extreme occasion uses an inappropriate word, I can get past that if they have a good track record. And but but this was you know, I don't, I don't know this person's history, but I could say that based on what you guys are describing in this video, there was an ongoing tirade of a dozen or so uses of, of a word and other family members may be feeling similarly. I think there's enough evidence to be concerned. At the end of the day, when you become a judge, you agree to the terms. And the terms are not only that you have to act accordingly, the way Ken was talking about in the judicial canons, the professional responsibility of treating everybody fairly and, and, and no, you know, no, no type of prejudice whatsoever, uh, that's fine. So the question is, does anybody really feel that a person who engages in this type of, of language or what have you is truly able to, to sit in judgment over somebody in, in you know, in, in accordance with those standards and, and those rules, it certainly calls into question. And remember, in the legal profession, and I'm sure this is true in a lot of other professions, it's not just the reality, it's the appearance. And so even if she, you know, used words in anger, but in her professional life was very fair to people of all colors and races and religions and, and what have you, and, and didn't show bias in the courtroom, you now have a perception problem you now have a reason for any time someone of color appeared in her courtroom to suggest if they got some kind of less favorable outcome than what they thought was reasonable, they got five years instead of three years or something like that, they would say, see, it's because she's prejudiced. Every time she issues a ruling or, or takes some kind of an action that goes against the interests of a person of color, people are going to circle back and say, see, she's a racist. And she put that issue out there by her behavior. Clearly, the criminal who tried to steal her car or whatever is, is at fault for criminal behavior. And I hope something happens accordingly. <clears throat> but her response to it, anger, yes. Racist tirade, no. So, Ken, as a defense attorney, if something like this was to come up for you, is this something that you would say, OK, I'm going to go back to all my past cases and now I'm going to have somebody do that research and see if my people had a fair trial or not, and if they were held accountable because of their race. Is that something a, de a defense attorney in Georgia would say, okay, let's go back and revisit some of these cases? If you oh, hell yes. Absolutely. Really? really? Wow. So this, this may not end here, then. Is that what you guys are saying? You think that there could be more to this later on? Because if... it's a big issue. It's a big nationwide story. Um it's pretty scary. Like I said, I was surprised she had to resign. I understood this, the you know the suspension, but I was like, oh, she'll probably get her seat back. But the Supreme Court was like, nah, nope. <laughs> so, wow, wow, that's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Let's move on here. I, I actually forgot to put that story up because that story came through late. Um, in the entertainment booth, rest in peace, Betty White, ninety nine years old. People magazine jinxed her. They sent out the new. <laughs> copy of people magazine with her on the cover talking about turning 100 years old uh betty white passed away so if you see that in the stores snatch it up it's an instant collector's item her last words before she passed away was alan and that was her husband alan lunt who was a game show host back in the day um those were her last words that she 
mentioned. Um, she was still in touch with Carol Burnett and Vicki Lawrence, who she was really close with, and it was great to hear those legends' names who were there with her in this time of passing. Also, a sad, sad story here. Uh, comic book star, comic book men star Robert Bruce was found dead in the New Jersey storage facility. He was 62 years old. The reason why this is a sad story because in Jersey, in New York, it's happening in Boston now. Rents have gotten so high across the country that people are now taking up housing in storage facilities and storage places. Look, I'm hearing that this is the big thing for college students here in the Boston area right now. They're going into storage facilities because you have Wi-Fi. There's free Wi-Fi in the storage facility. Your container is is protected against the element. It's it's crazy that someone that rent is so high that you're now choosing to stay in a storage facility as a place to live. And shame on the storage facilities for not doing their checks and walk-arounds to make sure that this is not going on. Um, the fact that Robert Bruce, who is the star of a TV show, a hit TV show, is found dead because he was living in the New Jersey storage facility is just it just boggles my mind. It's just it's just crazy. And um, rest in peace to Angela Kowalski, fifty five years old. She was the business manager for the Kardashians. She was actually found dead in her car just a few miles from her house. It turns out that the boyfriend had killed her in the home and then took her body and put her body in her car and left it there. Um, he's been arrested and charged for strangulation and uh, blunt trauma. And um, that's a pretty scary story there. Um, Also in the entertainment booth, TikTok is the most popular site on the planet, overtakes Google. That is scary in its own way. The fact that TikTok, that you can absolutely burn three hours of your life away watching nothing, has become the most popular site on the planet. Heading into the sports booth, sad story here in Boston. Relief pitcher Jim Corsi just 17 hours ago did an interview talking about that he um, is at peace with himself. He had stage four cancer in his colon and in his liver. And um, he did this interview with Channel 7 here. It was a very heartfelt interview. And as I said, 17 hours later, Jim Corsi passed away. So our prayers and blessings go out to Jim Corsi and his family. Um, in this time of, of loss, uh, cancer sucks. That's all I got to say. Um, also in the sports booth, the Patriots tamed the Jags 50 to 10. It was a big game to close out the home stand here. They're off to Miami to close out this weekend. We're going to see a lot of things from this team heading into this playoff games, balanced attack, rushing and running the ball. But um, the problem here is that quarterback Mac Jones had two bad games. So he's kind of out of the discussion of Rookie of the Year. Um, right now, the Rookie of the Year talk is wide receiver Jamar Chase, who plays for the Cincinnati Bengals, who played a hell of a game, 266 yards this past weekend, but he's on pace uh, to break all types of records. He's got 79 passes for 14, 29 yards, and 13 touchdowns. To be honest, I really don't want Mac Jones to get Rookie of the Year. I, I'd rather him not get it and be hungry for next year because I felt Mac Jones was kind of getting a big head with all the success that he had here before those two losses. Uh, Mac Jones had went out and he trademarked Mac 10 and MC 10 and all of these things and that sort of thing. It's like, dude, you're still a rookie. You could be, you could end up being the bust of the year next year and we could never see you again. You're, you're doing too much. Um, <clears throat> before that loss to Buffalo, he had bought the team, his O line, 
all types of expensive, elaborate gifts, and um, you know, it, it, it just sheer, sheer craziness. Um, here's the other topic that I want to discuss with these guys real quick. Uh, Antonio is no longer AB, no longer a buck. Um, I'm not showing the video, but there was a, an incident where he was upset. He took off his clothes, his shirt, and his pads and stuff, and threw stuff in the stands and tried to get an Uber back home to Tampa when they were actually playing in New York. Just sheer craziness stuff. Um, and it, it's sad for me because I feel it's tied into the things that have been going on in his life. If you guys remember that Vontae's perfect hit in Pittsburgh, when he was in Pittsburgh, that he hit and got knocked out. And um, he really hasn't been the same since that hit. The sad thing is, is we're not going to know if it's mentally related until, God forbid, something happens, as we've seen with Vincent Jackson and a couple other players this year who lost their lives to violent deaths. And then they do the brain study, and then they realize that they have certain stages of CT. I'm going to let you guys go around the horn real quick here and, and just give you comments on Antonio Brown. I'm going to start with Osquid first. Yeah, you know, look, you, you, you're right that we won't know about brain injury until later unless they come up with some new technology. I know Boston University continues to do some great work in that regard, and and so we won't know that question. And so anything we say is caveated by the fact that there's that there there may be something right. there we don't know, but there may be. I, I say this, and I don't mean to be insensitive, but AB was a jerk from the minute he entered the NFL. And so it's not all related to a brain injury if he has one. I don't know that he has one, but if he is, <clears throat> if he does, this is not only related to that. He has been one of those difficult players that has trouble functioning on a team. Uh, you know, I give Mike Tomlin credit. He, he was successful for years in Pittsburgh. He was always a problem in the locker room. Tomlin had his hands full, uh, but maybe he was a little bit more hungry as a rookie and didn't feel that he could uh, could act up as much. But, you know, he was a problem in Pittsburgh. He was a problem. You know, obviously, Belichick has a history of taking in some problems and and getting them to function on a one year contract to give them a chance. And and then they usually can maybe behave for a season. Uh, and that's what Antonio Brown did. And then I think the biggest mistake he made was taking that contract in Tampa. He didn't need it. He didn't need it. Um, and so, you know, he got, he got hungry. He got greedy. I don't know what happened, but he, he, you know, he went back with Tampa and he had problems for both seasons. He was there. He was, you know, obviously he didn't care about his health with some of the COVID protocols. He had so many problems and this is not, you know, a lot of this is just personal personal choices he's not a good person so he may be suffering from some other issues but he's also a jackass and so you know he you know he tries to get sympathy the fact is you know he was despite his suspensions he was still on track to uh you know to meet his his uh stat uh requirement for his bonus and bruce arians was going to put him back in the game tried to get him to go back in the game three different times <clears throat> and brown quit he quit on the team in the middle of a game that they wanted to win. This wasn't a meaningless game for Tampa because they didn't right. know if Green Bay was going to win or not. And Minnesota wanted to beat Green Bay and Tampa wanted to get home field throughout the NFC playoffs. And so this was a game they wanted to win. It was embarrassing how badly they were playing with the, in the Jets and the Jets gave them that game. Let's face it, by not kicking the field goal at the end, they said, here, you guys go win this game. And they just let them score. So, you know, uh, Tampa, Tampa wanted that game badly. And where was AB? 
He, he acted like a jackass on the sidelines. He refused to go back in the game. He makes up a story after the fact. He could have said that his ankle was bothering him at any point earlier in the game. They could have taped it up. They could have brought him to the locker room. Maybe he couldn't have come back in the game, but they could have done something. He didn't say anything to anybody. He acted like a jerk. And then he started taking his stuff off and throwing his equipment and, and everything in the, in the stands. And, you know, he said his ankle was bothering him. I don't know. He was dancing pretty well in the end zone, uh, trying to work his way <laughs> off the field. So his ankle didn't look problematic to me. So I'm sorry. I, I just don't fall for it. I don't fall for it. Whatever problems he has, he's also a jerk. Anything you want to add to that real quick, Ken? No. It, Rob's absolutely correct. Everything he said. <clears throat> All right. We got about 10 minutes left, and I got to get to this last, last topic. <clears throat> also in the sports booth, Jake Paul challenges Dana White to pay UFC fighters properly. Uh, Dana White answers with a classic reply. Um, he says, if you take a steroid test, I'll take the cocaine test. And he also called him out about his manager who used to work for UFC, calls him the warlock. In my opinion, Jake Paul will fight Dana White in 2022 for charity. That's my prediction. You heard it here first in the booth. Time Magazine year. Athlete is Simone Biles from the Olympics. Kudos to her for that. As you guys know that the Olympic Committee settled on the abuse of uh, all these Olympic stars and girls when they were younger. <clears throat> and uh, she was at the forefront of that. As you guys knew, she couldn't perform correctly because she had PTSD and trauma because she went back and relived those sexual assaults against her. Um, craziness. So she was athlete of the year. Heading into the Biden bombshells. we got about eight minutes left. Uh Joe Biden found out that meat prices were up, that there was a huge meat crisis because a friend of his wife was over the house and was complaining about the price of ground beef being $5 a pound where they live. He was completely unaware of it. So now he decided that he's going to check into it. He's going to find out what's going on. Um, Some of this build better back plan that he has going on. um, He's now going to shift some of these monies to independent meat plants. We're getting their asses kicked by those other meat places from out of Brazil and places like Tyson Chicken and Tyson, you know, all these big meat corporations who are putting the little guys and the little farmers out of business. So let's see what Trump can, I mean, let's see what President Biden can do there to help them out. And as we close out the last topic of Biden bombshells, I got to get these guys in here. I got to give you guys some history and I'm going to let these guys speak on it because this is how Fox News spins-ish. Fox News puts a big story out there and says President Biden's first year is the worst since Jimmy Carter. So let me just tell people, first of all, Trump Trump got out of office and left Biden with a big old bag of ish. It's called trickle-down economics, people. Biden's only been in for one year. One year. not One year. We're heading into the second year right now. Trickle-down economics. The reason why we have inflation, people, is because we're coming off depression of this pandemic. We're coming off pandemic. And we've seen it in history. When you come out of wars, when you come out of pandemics, when you come out of things of that sort, guess what you have? Inflation. Guess what? Who was the president before Jimmy Carter? I'm going to ask Ken Diesel. Remember who the president was before Jimmy Carter? Gerald R. Ford. And before Gerald R. Ford, R. Squid, who was the president? Nixon, we all know, yeah. 
And Nixon left the office because of Watergate. Gerald Ford took over. When Gerald Ford took over, it was the end of guess what, people? What ended that year that we just come out of? A long stay in a certain place. What war? Vietnam. Vietnam. And guess what happens when that war ended? We hit the wall of inflation, which is why Jimmy Carter's first year was the way it was, people. So don't let Fox News come in here and spin this whole thing about... I'm just i going to let these guys speak on this real quick before we close up, because it it pisses me off. Because there are people going to look at this story... And they're going to say, oh, he's worse than Carter, but not know the reason why Carter was also bad. This is the th- These are the things they left out. Ask I'll let you talk on it. You're a military guy. Well, look, here's the thing. If you if you want to look at, at President Biden's record from his first year in office, which we're not quite there yet, we're 11 months, but okay. Um, I guess 11 and a half months at this point. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Yeah, there's inflation and people can comment on, on why we have it and and you know, what that means to people and what have you. At the end of the day, it, it, it does, you know, it gets people's attention rightly or wrongly. So that's a factor he's going to have to deal with and Democrats are going to have to deal with in the elections this year. But if you look at, um, you know, the his uh, first year in office as a whole, you can look at a lot of things that he could point to that went very well, over 5 million jobs created. That's something that uh, other presidents have not done. Uh, he tied Reagan's record for the most number of judges appointed in his first year. And unlike Trump, Biden's judges are qualified. Uh, they're not extremist boobs. And so, uh, you know, people might not agree with their judicial philosophy, but every one of them is at least qualified to be a judge, unlike the people Trump was putting on the bench. And and some of Trump's judges have proven to be good. I'm just it, but, yeah, but yeah. he certainly but he also put on a series of people that even Mitch McConnell said were not fully qualified. And some of them didn't even get a vote in the Senate. So let's be fair. Even McConnell stopped a few of those. But but anyway, he, he, he got a lot of, you know, judges put on at a time when we have a, a shortage of, of judges and we needed him to put good people on the bench. Uh, we've got certainly the infrastructure bill is a, is a huge success. I know it took some wrangling. That's the way it works. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The final product was pretty good. Uh, they passed, and this was another bipartisan thing, a very, very important piece of legislation dealing with China. Uh, China goes back to some of the issues you were talking about earlier. Uh, and so there is a long list of, of Biden's successes there are some things you could point to that people say, well, I don't like this or this could have been done better. And, and yes, that's true. And that's true of every president. Like I said before, there's nobody I agree with 100 percent of the time. There's nobody I think was a perfect president. And just about every president has done at least something that I've agreed with, including Trump. Uh, not many, but there are a couple of things. And so, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, if you, if you want to be fair and do an analysis, then you've got to look at uh, you know, you've got to look at his record in, in, in its entirety, and you'll find that there are actually a lot of good successes, things about child tax credit, uh, you know, so, some good economic things. There, there are some things, again, that maybe are not my, you know, first choice, but um, I, think, I, think he could, I think he could proudly point to his record. He doesn't do it very well. He's not a great public speaker. He's not a good, you know, he, <laughs> the, the, the weakness of him as a politician is he's never been one to trumpet his achievements. You know, normally, you know, we think of politicians as these uh, uh, narcissistic type people that have no problems bragging about themselves, taking credit for other people's work and what have you. That's not Biden's way. Um, He does some of the things that are good, but he's one of those quiet professional politicians. 
not one of those bombastic, charismatic type politicians. And there's good in, in, in both. So, you know, he, he's got to learn to sell himself, quite frankly, um, uh, you know, because he does have a record he can run on, uh, certainly better than what Fox is reporting on. Right. It's just, it's just crazy that they leave a lot of this out. Ken, anything you want to add to that? we got about two minutes left. No, I think Rob said everything that needed to be said, and he said it more eloquently than I could ever hope to. <laughs> All right. So, can I just add something then? Because you, you brought yes. up the fact of uh, the, the meatpacking and, and some of the farm issues. And I, I wanted oh, yes, to comment yes, yes. on that. I didn't know if we were going to talk about that. And I certainly want to give yeah, Ken a chance yeah, yeah, yeah. as well yep. we got, without we got running over. Time. I'll but, let you go. But but here's the issue. All right. This and this is not a new thing. This is this this predates Trump, too. So it's not entirely on his watch. But we've had an issue for many years about, uh, you know, relying on our food to be imported. And I have talked about this and I have written about this and I've written <clears throat> about this. In fact, when I got down to Florida and I became involved in local politics, this was the issue It was farmland. It was the preservation of farmland here and to stop building these ridiculous, expensive single family home developments and getting rid of all the small farms down here. Because at the end of the day, the more because you've got two problems in the United States. One is the loss of family or small farms. All the big farming corporations are buying it up. And that's one of the problems that we have now is that farmland, including the meat industry, is controlled by these large conglomerates who uh, you know, who don't have competition, they can raise prices, they can do what they want, and they, they get rid of all the small family and independent farms. That's not good economically. This is what President Biden is addressing. That's exactly what he was talking about, was how he's trying to send help to the individual and family farms to be able to compete and preserve their place in the market against these big conglomerates. The other aspect of it is the more we build on our farmland, and therefore we have to import things from overseas, we put ourselves at an incredible national security risk. Think about what happens if we have a conflict. Everybody thinks we're the United States, we have a powerful navy <clears throat> and an air force and, and nobody could cut us off. Well, you know what? Other countries can decide not to sell us things. Other countries can decide not to export things. I know it sounds crazy, but China has the economic might to, to, to do things like that. And so do our other adversaries. The bottom line is the more of our food that we import, and we import an incredible amount of our produce, our meats, uh, all kinds of things, that is not safe. Because you know whatever type of conflict there exists, whether it's an economic conflict, a military conflict, something. Uh, we run the risk of somebody cutting off our supply of food. And if, if you think that that's tenable in the long term, then you are incredibly foolish and naive because it is not that hard for somebody to be able to cut our food supply. They don't have to cut it completely. They just have to interfere with it. And we can't feed our people. And that is a dangerous reality. And that is why I have been against all the development on farmland uh, from a national security standpoint, um, as well as other issues. But, but from a national security standpoint, we can't be importing all of our food from other countries because I guarantee you that that will stop on a, on a dime uh, for a number of different reasons. Wow, good stuff. Thank you. That was good stuff to add. Well worth going over the couple of minutes. Um, again, these are the guys who are supporting the show. Find the Sinister One Productions beanies. Great stuff there. Um, I want to thank I Love Boston Sports, my sponsor. Also, you want to check out Viana Marie's music available on all streaming websites. Check out Drafting the Circuits, Oscar Mike Radio, 
Maddie C Sports for you and me. His new show is debuting right now on YouTube. So you want to jump over there as soon as we close out the show and check out his show. He's probably doing the countdown right now. Happy hour with Lido. Talk back with Gloria Shea. And she talks football. I'm going to let these guys say their goodbyes. And then SpongeBob is going to take us home. Ken, I'll let you go first. Well, I just want to thank, every, thank everyone, especially our 12 listeners. And everyone, be safe. Be informed. Be careful. I squid. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Great show. Appreciate you guys and appreciate everybody who listens. And again, we're coming up on the anniversary of January 6th, the insurrection. I need you guys to make sure to go over to the corridor on Facebook. Check out the articles written by R Squared. I actually shared his latest. This is on my page, but please make sure to make it over to the corridor and make sure to like the page and check it out. Also, if you like this show, Click the subscribe button on YouTube. I got to stop making sure to mention that every week. And I got to thank everybody for tuning into the show. Uh, next thing I got to say is, SpongeBob, do me a favor. Take us home. Well, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to The Booth on Hoobazoo and HatcherRadio.com. Please follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The Booth is a Sinister One production hosted by Sinister One. I've got to start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and understand politics instead. It's just that I'm up on this level up here and all my friends are down here. Me, meow. You guys, meow. Maybe a little more down, down here. Screw you. Well, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to The Booth on Hoobazoo and HatcherRadio.com. Please follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The Booth is a Sinister One production hosted by Sinister One. I've got to start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and understand politics instead. It's just that I'm up on this level up here and all my friends are down here. Me, meow. You guys, meow. Maybe a little more down, down here. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I smoke, I drink, I do my thing. These bitches hating, so you know I got to make it plain. Don't do cocaine with your chick, my main. We stick together, true forever, yeah, you know we bang. I miss those days, which was easy. If only I made it, bitch, don't repeat. Now that I done upgraded, I've been upstate, but y'all think I'm playing. And I got a hit now for these weak assholes who think I ain't slaying. Try me, try me, and I'll probably end up laughing because I never back down. I'm that chick with a clean ass whip. I don't need that shit, so I got my own now. I ain't hood, I get tired of fussing, fighting, guess I gotta crack down. Don't mess with me, cause on everything, I'ma have to bring the whole city out. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's it, was it, I come. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's it, was it, I come.